Let me welcome everyone by, uh, by Facebook and YouTube. We're glad to have you in the services tonight for our midweek service and glad to have each of you here as well. And I've asked them to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, the title of the message tonight is The Battle for Our Minds. The Battle for Our Minds. The book of Proverbs says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And our thought life it is important to God and therefore should be important to us. And uh, because, you know, you cannot separate belief from behavior. Did you know that? If you believed it was going to be raining tonight, uh, some of you might have brought a raincoat, even though it's not raining right this minute. But if you believed it was going to rain, you might have brought a raincoat. If you believed it was going to be cold in church, some of you brought a shawl with you or you brought a coat with you, right? Belief dictated behavior. And, uh, and it is that way. They are inseparable. And I want to read some passages to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and look with me beginning in verse 3. Look in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. All right? And uh, I want you to take note of something in these, in these past. Pardon me. I want you to see that first word, the word imaginations imaginations. Paul is trying to deal with their thought life. Notice the next word. It says knowledge. Where do we keep knowledge? We keep knowledge in our heads, don't we? Amen. Yeah. Having to do with our thoughts, with our mind. And then notice the latter part of verse five and bring into captivity every what? Every thought. And, and, and again, I say Paul is trying to deal with the thought life uh, of these uh, Corinthian believers because what they believed has had an effect on their behavior. And you say, what was their behavior, Brother Ed? Some of them were questioning Paul's sanity. Some of them thought that he was beside himself, that he was taking too much upon himself in the way that he dealt with the church at Corinth. When, uh, when he wrote the first letter to them. And you know, that was a book all about corrections, wasn't it? They were, they were divided. They had this little group that said, man, I like, I like Peter. I like Paul. I only follow Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And really, it was an indication of how immature they were. And, uh, and so he corrects that. Then, then they were taking each other to court. There was even an issue with someone having, you know, uh, the wrong kind of relationship. Uh, between a man and a woman in a family. They were having the wrong kind of relationship. He had to deal with that. There were questions about marriage and there was questions about the Lord's Supper. They, they were getting drunk. They were drunken at the Lord's Supper. They were having problems in that church. Then they have the whole issue there in chapters uh, 14, all about the unknown tongue, all about those ecstatic utterances. They had all these gifts, but they were not spiritual. They were fleshly. 
And so you can have a lot of gifts and not be spiritual if you're not using them for the right reasons and, uh, and, and, and under the right motivation and power. And so he has to write that corrective letter. And he does so. And some of them repent of their deeds, but some of them were offended. Look in verse 1 of chapter 10. Notice what it says. Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold towards you. In other words, when he was with them in person, he was very gentle with them and, and so forth. And look at verse 2. But I beseech you. He's begging them, right? That I may not be bold when I am present with, with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. In other words, they thought, Paul, you're putting your nose in our business and you're just, you know, you're just being, you're in the flesh. You're not in the spirit doing these things. And so, I mean, they question his authority. They question his sanity. They even question his apostleship. And so what they were thinking was affecting the way that they were behaving. And so here he tells us and gives us some things. Now that's not, that's not our issue tonight, but it is nonetheless the battle for our minds. As we think in our hearts, so are we. And so this is the information age, is it not? Gosh, there's more, there, there's what we call TMI, right? Too much information. Uh, that gets spread around and so forth, and all this social media things and and the like, and you know they had they had the guy in, uh, up in Washington, the TikTok guy, and they're suspecting that China's got something to do with that since it's a Chinese company, and it's just a you know it's just a shell so they can gather information. And listen, they people are trying to steal information all the time, all the time. It is the information age. And uh, it's important, your thought life is important to God and also to your enemies. Man, if he can keep us confused, if the devil can do that, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly inundating our minds with one goal. And you say, what is that goal? It is corruption. The corruption of our minds. Listen to what Paul said to the church in Corinth. He said, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And, uh, and there are several types of minds that are mentioned in the Bible. There is the blinded mind of the lost. You know, that says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when Paul said, if our gospel is hid, it's hidden to those who are Lost, whom the God of this world hath blinded their minds, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine in unto them, that they would be saved. So the devil has done a good job in blinding the minds of people to the truth of the gospel. Uh, you know, when he couldn't kill the living word on Calvary, he's done a good job of bringing confusion with the written word by producing so many different quote, versions and so many different uh, books out there about the Bible and of which that uh, there's there are contradictions in those other versions and there's problems in those other books. And what does it do? So that it makes men feel like, well, they have to make their own decisions. They then become the authority in life rather than submitting to the authority 
of the Bible. And so it just further keeps people back away from the truth. And uh, because why? Because the devil doesn't want them to be safe. So, there, so there's the blinded mind of the lost. There's the carnal mind that they had in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, I can't speak in you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. And he said, when you got all this fighting and fuming and carrying on, he said, are you not carnal and walk as natural men? They, they were behaving like lost people. They were not behaving like believers. So you have the carnal mind, and then you have the corrupt mind. That's also that I quoted from 2 Corinthians 11, and, uh, and even where Titus talks about this. In the book of Titus, talks about men of, that were destitute, who had corrupted minds, destitute of the truth. And so what are we supposed to do? We get all this stuff, and uh, you know, do you remember, now again, our, the older folks in here, they might remember some of these things, but they used to do something. How many have ever heard of the word subliminal? Do you, remember, do you, know, you know what was going on? And what, they were using these things in movie theaters. Now, you know, uh, you know, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And uh, did you know that your brain is capable of catching things that, that you may not even be consciously aware of? You got these ear gates and you got the eye gates that things that come in. So what was happening in the theaters, where they weren't really making money. I mean, you think about it. My, my mom talked about going to a, a theater and paying a dime. You know, and, and uh, to go to the show or whatever for a dime. Some of you all probably did that when you were children. You went for a dime. And uh, maybe your mom gave you a quarter and you had a dime and you had enough to ride the bus and go to the show and get something to drink and have a bus ride home. I mean, that's how it was, you know, in the 50s. And, um, and so, so the way that the theaters made money was by the food that they sold. So in between the frames on the film, there would be a picture of a hot dog or there'd be a, a box of popcorn or there'd be a frosty drink and, uh, or an ice cream bar. And what they were doing, they knew that the eye, it would because the film speed was so fast, the eye wouldn't necessarily uh, react to it or see it in the, in the sense of seeing it but it came in visually and the brain, almost like a spider web, there went that hot dog and there went that cold drink and there went the popcorn and oh, there was a baby Ruth. And suddenly, what were they doing? They were stimulating the brains, the minds of the people in the theater to where the man, as soon as it came up intermission or whatever, or even before that, man, I sure would like a hot dog. I think I smell them, you know, or man, I smell popcorn. Or, you know, I mean, and what were they doing? They were boosting sales, particularly if it was a double feature. Man, they were, they were making money. They, and and when, when that was discovered, oh, then they say they put it in. They had to put an end to it because what were they doing? They were manipulating people, right? The brain is getting, a, getting a, 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 an imprint of something that was affecting their behavior. And so today, it's just more blatant. Every time they advertise something, you know, every, you know, I, I think they just ought to have a channel of advertisements. If you want to watch an advertisement, just go to that channel and leave the rest alone. I don't, I don't have to have a, 
Uh, I don't have to have an alcohol commercial if I was watching a ball game or whatever and all that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, my, my point is, is that we are inundated with information. And guess what? You know, there used to be when the computers came out, there was a little, there was a little saying. It says, it said, garbage in, garbage out. And so what we allow in has an impact upon us. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to Look what Paul said. Look down there with me. Look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And so you cannot, you cannot uh, deal with a philosophy or an idea or a deception or a lie. You can't deal with that in, you know, by putting boxing gloves on. Say, man, I'm going to take care of that lie. I'm going to take care of that. You can't do that. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not material in the sense of something that I could taste or touch, you know, and the like. But they are, notice what it says, but they are spiritual. Notice the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and, and so forth. They're bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are spiritual. And guess what? They are mighty. That word mighty is in part, comes from the word where you get the word dynamite from. Dynamite's pretty powerful, isn't it? Uh, I mean, you know, it, it can blow rocks and they've been using them in quarries forever and ever and ever. You know, the, the nitroglycerin, they're, they're powerful. And that word, they are mighty through God. And he's given us some weapons and I want us to see those. What are the weapons of our warfare? What am I supposed to be using since I can't put on the boxing gloves? I can't pull out my Smith and Wesson and say, all right, Mr. Lie, get over here and I'm going to do it. I mean, you really would be hurt too high for crutches if that were going on. Amen. And, uh, but what I want you to see is we do have recourse and we do have resources that we should be utilizing. So I want you to see the first one tonight. I want you to see that our faith is a weapon. Our faith is a weapon. Something that is mighty through God. I want you to go to, you're going to have to turn with me tonight a few places. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. Turn right in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 11. And look with me. All right. Faith is a weapon. Hebrews chapter 1. And, uh, and I want you to see this. Notice what this says. I know you probably could quote the verse. It says of faith... It says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, all right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And what I want you to know that your faith in Christ has brought victory into our lives. It was the means of our salvation. Listen, when you got saved, you got him, and guess what? He got you. And you need to be able to say, just like Paul, that I am his and he is mine. You need to be assured of that. And your faith in Christ can be victorious for you when you're assaulted with a deception or when something else comes along to distract us, to pull us down and to do other things, to do what? To try to discourage us. Listen, the devil, he couldn't have Job's life 
But boy, he sure made life miserable for him, did he not? He did. He couldn't touch Job's life, but he touched everything else. You know, and, and what did Job say? Man, he said, uh, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How in the world did he do that? What was he telling you? What did his wife say? You know what? You just better curse God and die. And he called her said, he called her a foolish woman. You know, you know, I, that's not the way. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. He was exercising some faith in spite of what he was seeing, in spite of what he was feeling. Now, I want you to, we're in Hebrews chapter 11. This is the hall of faith, is it not? By faith, this one. By faith, that one. By faith, it is. Look in verse 32 with me. The writer here says, same chapter 11, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, Stop the mouths of lion, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. It was, it was their faith that was working in them. And beloved, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your faith in him is a weapon that you and I should rely upon. We should rely upon that. Listen, uh, you know, the, in 1 John, it says this. You know, faith in Christ does mean our victory. It means victory over the world. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says this. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. The world runs in opposition to the things of God. The world is all the time trying to squash or quash or deny the truth of God, the facts about God. Listen, we live in this, we live in a society that is consumed with this environmental climate change stuff and all of this bogus science that is out there. It's money driven. It's 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 a mess. And they are God deniers and they want to impact the way that we live. I mean, even down to whether or not. You could have a propane stove in your house, you know. I mean, it's it's just it's if it's almost laughable. It's so ridiculous. But Jesus said, "I've overcome the world," and so too have we. Greater is He that's in us than He that's in this world. Your faith in Christ does mean victory. It also means victory over self. Our faith. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, now listen, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Calvary, faith in Christ, and what he did at Calvary is the answer to the self-life, the thing that gets us into trouble sometimes. And also over, it brought victory not only over the world, but it brought victory over self and victory over the devil. Because why? Jesus said, now is the prince of this world cast out. Listen, he thought he was doing the Lord Jesus in when he, when he had him crucified there, if you will. And really it was his own 
own undoing. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, it said, had the princes of this world known that, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. You know, the devil knows a lot, but he doesn't know it all. He just thinks he knows it all, but he doesn't. And what I'm trying to say is that Satan's dominion has been broken. The work, the devil's works have been destroyed. Because here, when Jesus died and paid the debt, he, if you will, he dethroned the devil. Remember the devil offered him many things. I'll give you all these kingdoms, give you all this, and it was his to give. But when Christ raised from the dead, I mean, he took all that with him, got it all back what Adam lost. And he threw, he destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil. That's Hebrews 2 and 14. So our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil have all met their match in Jesus Christ. And our faith in Christ is a weapon that when, we, when we're bombarded by these things and what are we going to do? Man, we just need to look up. We need to look up what did the Lord say, look up. Why? When you see all these things, look up. Why? Because your redemption draweth nigh. And that can bring comfort and assurance and strength to our hearts. Just like as we, every day it seems like the headlines are, are worse and worse and worse. And things are happening. And man, you know, all we can say is, you know, and I, and I don't say it as because that's all we can say. But what, what I mean by that is what we can say is, you know what? The Lord's still on the throne. He's not surprised by any of these things. He knows what's going to happen, and he's already taken care of that. And if it gets, you know, if it, if it gets to where gas is going to be $5 a gallon, I suspect God will make sure that I got $5 in my pocket to buy a gallon of gas. Do you understand? If groceries get, I, I'm sure the Lord's going to help me in that. Doesn't mean we just sit around and say, okay, Lord, bless me. You know, that's not what that means. We have to use good judgment. But I want you to know that faith is a weapon. And man, y'all have taken all my time. I can't believe how you did that. You're getting good at that, you know, brother. You are. I can't believe it. I looked at that just can't be. That's why I had to look at my watch. I can't believe that, but it is. I just want to tell you though that faith is a weapon. Can I give you one more thing? Truth is a weapon. Truth is a weapon. Knowledge of the truth brings freedom. What did, what did John say in 3 John verse 4? He said, I have no greater joy than to what? Than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, the enemy, one of his, his power lies in his ability to deceive. The truth is, is the weapon that we need against doubt. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus was there? There he is at the end of chapter 3 in, the, in Matthew's gospel. Here he's going to be baptized by John. The heavens open up. And man, the, that, like that image like the dove descends upon him. And there's a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. As soon as you get to Matthew chapter 4, he's led of the spirit up into the wilderness. He's been up there for 40 days. The devil doesn't come visit him on the first day. The devil comes and visits him after he's 40 days. He's hungry. He's going to wait for you at your weakest point. And what does he say? If thou be the son of God. And the last thing that he heard from heaven was, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What does the devil try to do? Doubt. Tries to put some doubt in there. If thou be the son of God, why don't you say to these stones, why don't you turn them into bread or whatever? You can do this. And, uh, and, and what did the Lord do? He said, it is written. He was using truth. 
He was showing us what he was going to use as our example. What should we use when we're confronted by a doubt? This is where, this is where knowing something about the character of God and the content of his promises, the content of the word of God can help us when we're having to deal with issues like doubt or deception or discouragement. The truth of God's word, beloved, it is so important for you and I to be immersed in that word. I, 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 you know, I mention it often and you say, you know, why? Because, you know, it's not just something, it's not a conversation piece to have on the coffee table. It's something to read and something to apply. That's where that verse said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, what? It isn't that they're reading the truth. It isn't that they're telling the truth. No, it's because they're walking in truth. That means a steady application, one step after another in biblical truth. It's what we need. You know, and then, and you know, the Bible calls it the sword of the spirit, right? Against deception. Ephesians says, and take the helmet of salvation. Why would he do that? You know, when you've been hit in the head, it's hard for you to function, isn't it? Some of y'all looking at me like you've been hit in the head today, all right? It's hard to function. Imagine, you know, I mean, I, I boxed a little bit, got my lips beat in when I was in the service, you know? And, uh, but man, you get your BB rattled up here, it, it messes you up. That's why, that, that's why that helmet is on there, the helmet of salvation. Why? That we might know who's in charge and that he's guiding us and leading us. It's protecting our minds with the truth of that salvation. Because the devil likes to rattle the bones out of our past mm -hmm. and bring up things. We're there protecting our minds, having a God consciousness that controls our minds. And it says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's what the Holy Spirit uses when he does battle. That's what the Lord Jesus was doing there when he was being tempted there of the devil and he said three times, he tell him, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I, I mean, and the devil was quoting scripture at him, but he had the truth. And the Lord Jesus knew how to apply that. And beloved, that's where you and I need to be more familiar with our Bible, how to use the sword of the spirit, not just living by the letter, but by the spirit of that word that gives us life being more familiar with it. And so we need to have a, our minds protected and then a renewed mind. You remember the demoniac Gadara? No man could tame him. I mean, he was cutting himself. He, li he lived in a cemetery. That's where he lived in the Gadarenes. And they had tried to bind him with chains and fetters of brass. And man, he just had super, I mean, he was demon possessed. And, they, and you say, how many? The name of it was Legion. The Legion was about, I think about 2,500, it was, it was a, I know it was a lot. Yeah. People have disagreed about how many was in a legion, but legion was his name. They're the ones that went down to that swine, remember? They loved wet places, they drowned those hogs in the water. What were Jewish people raising hogs for anyway? That was a little iffy. But when he got saved, where was he? Townspeople came out and saw him. There he was. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus. He had clothes on. That was a first. And he was actually sitting. He was still. He wasn't being tormented, acting bizarre, and 
And the, and the latter part of that says, and he was in his right mind. Man, you know what? Part of the reason why we needed to get saved because our thinking as lost men and women was messed up. And we've got to have a mind that's been renewed. That's what Romans 12 said, to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's mentioned also in Ephesians 4 to have a renewed mind. God wants to do that. As you read your Bible and you make the effort to commit some of it to memory just by using it, you're giving the Holy Spirit something to work with. In that sort of when you hear when you hear error, when you hear a deception, and you say, Man, that's not true. You hear somebody at work or someone on the radio or someone on the TV that says this or that or the other thing. Man, that's not so. God said this, and this is what he said. And then you go back to the word of God and say, Man, thank you, Lord. I know that I got the truth right here. And I'm counting on that. You have to have it. You're gonna to have to have it. And it's also what we need for discouragement. For discouragement. Listen. Joshua said, this book, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Well, what do you think discouragement is? Discouragement is when you got no courage. But reading your word of God, meditating on the word of God, believing what you read, mixing faith with what you hear when you come to the house of God, as it comes from the word of God, man, God will strengthen you with might in the inner man. So that one of the weapons that you and I can have is truth. Man, it's so important. It's so important to garner the truth and hold on to it and put it into your daily life to practice it. All right? Listen, there's the, I'll just tell you this. The third one, the one I was done with, is prayer. Prayer is a weapon. It's a weapon. You know one of the first things that we did when in the Gulf War? You know one of the first things that Schwarzkopf had them do when they brought the Air Force in? Before they ever set uh, regular soldiers in there to do the fighting, they already, set, they already had reconnaissance teams in there, Navy SEALs and Green Berets getting all this information where the buildings were and all that stuff. And, laying all those maps out so they could bring the coordinates back. Well, one of the first things they did, they knocked out all the command and control things. What they did that was all centralized in one place so that so those poor Iraqi soldiers, they couldn't tell. When they saw a dust cloud off there in the distance, they didn't know if that was the good guys or the bad guys coming because they didn't have any communication with headquarters. Two things armies have got to have. They've got to have beans and they got to have bullets. <laughs> And that means there's got to be someone in charge. They've got to have someone to lead them, someone to yes. supply them. And beloved, our prayer life is so important that we stay hooked up. An army can't go any further than what their stomachs will take them. Amen? It's what they've got to have. The army, they dig a lot of ditches, don't they, men? They dig a lot of foxholes. They've got, they got to have that necessary food and we get that when we go to pray we we may we may kneel in distress but after prayer we get up with hope we may kneel with fear and we get up with peace from meeting with god beloved it works it works the weapons are faith the truth 
and then your prayer life are the weapons that you must utilize. And you can't be passive if you're going to be in the fight. Because you know what? Either you're going to be either you're going to be in the battle or the battle will overtake you, and then you wind up becoming a captive. A POW, a prisoner of war. You don't want to be that way. No, we don't want to be that way. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for my dear church family. Lord, I love them, but not nearly the way that you do. Thank you for your precious word, Lord. I pray, Father, that we may learn to utilize what we read on the page planted in our hearts, dear God, that when discouragement or doubt or distress, all these things that everybody faces, Lord, yet we have resources and we have recourse because we have you. Thank you, Lord, for being our God and our Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving the Father enough to go to Calvary, that you might deliver us, Lord, from this awful, sin-sick world. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you, Father. And I pray you'll bless our people, equip them, Lord, with what they need. May they learn to use these weapons as you would. In Jesus' name, amen.